Joined in studio by Justin Engels, the business angle, also presented by Blackfoot. How you doing, man? What's going on? I'm doing okay. I'm still trying to get over the fact that the Aggies' new head coach is named Tim Plough. <laughs> That's right. B-L-O-U-G-H. Wow. Isn't, that, uh, isn't that something? Okay, right on brand. Right on brand, right? It's so funny, too. I, I've never quite been able to identify... There's there's various Aggies, and they all seem to be drastically different. Yeah. Like the Aggies that are the Aggies of UC Davis plant apple trees, and they sure. live in sunshiny California, where the Aggies that are the Aggies in uh, College Station at Texas A&M are, you know, like ROTC slash uh, plow farmers. Well, there's often <laughs> an agriculturally oriented <laughs> yeah. university, often a land-grant university and in a state, and so I would imagine that they're choice of how to um, articulate the Aggie brand is somewhat tied to the dominant industry of the zone. Although Texas A&M and the sort of military oh, man. affiliation, that maybe is its own brand of special Texan marketing. I'm not quite sure. We're going to go back to Texas A&M because uh, Matt Brown of the Extra Points newsletter had a, a phenomenally fascinating tweet all about um, just actually what a $76 million buyout like Jim yeah. Joe Fisher got, what it actually all means. Also, uh, Texas A&M hired a new football coach, and then they did their weird thing where they like sing along to each other. The press conference yesterday was just so weird. The whole athletic administration arms around each other singing their weird songs. It is a, it's just a really, really strange place. It's cultish. It yeah. is definitely cultish. It yep. is it is a weird, weird place. We digress. Um, first and foremost, though, you're a you're a New England guy, mm-hmm. New Hampshire. Uh, I was texting you about this when uh, Delaware won their game against Lafayette in the first round of the FCS playoffs, and it was confirmed then that Delaware was coming to Missoula this weekend for a second round game uh, against Montana. I was doing some research like we always do on some of these playoff schools. That's actually one of the most interesting parts of my the writing part of my job is when you get the playoff crossover and then you get to do some research about these schools that are from, you know, other places. I knew about Delaware broadly, but not really, you know, so, intrinsically. Yeah, but did your research tell you that Delaware is not in New England? Uh, right. <laughs> I mean, it's all the same to guys that have never been back All those there. little states out yeah, there. Yeah, all those the little right states out map. there. So, okay. so is Delaware just like right? At, what is considered New England? Connecticut? New England, yeah, Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, Massachusetts, Connecticut. Connecticut. Rhode Island. And Delaware's not. So Delaware's, so Delaware's not. what? Like right below what? Rhode uh, Island? It's right below. Uh, it's, it's sort of attached to Maryland and okay. south of New Jersey. This is me showing my uh, American geography ignorance. It's, Six, it's several exits down the <laughs> highway. Sixth grade me would be so disappointed in myself because I totally could have told you where the, uh, on the map is. Either way, yeah. um, it was interesting learning about Delaware just in in general, mm-hmm. but the one fact that I was so curious about is they have a one point, almost eight, one point seven eight billion dollar endowment. Right. Right. That is a, an astounding amount for any institution, but particularly a, you know, largely a public state university. It is a large endowment, and um, there's a variety of reasons for that we can talk about. Um, you I know. guess first start with what is an endowment? I, I'm sort sure. of familiar, but you're a, you're, you work in higher education, so you, you're more familiar with this. Yeah, so they're structured differently at different institutions. At the University of Montana, our fundraising foundation is a separate a nonprofit organization that raises money on behalf of the institution and that money there there's a protocol for transferring money between this charitable foundation and the university for various purposes an endowment is generally um 
a pot of money that's been raised through philanthropy mm -hmm. that can be used for various things um, to support the university. It can be used to support investment in new faculty, new programs, new buildings, new technologies, whatever. Um, but it, it, it is sort of a way to think about it is like the principal. If you if you have a mortgage, you get mm -hmm. your interest payment mm -hmm. and your principal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The endowment's kind of the, the principal. Got it. Right? And it can spin off money. So oftentimes you don't want to dive, you know, if you're managing your estate, you don't want to like spend into principal, but you can spend off of some of the interest sure. in your portfolio. Right. So thinking about it that way is useful. Now, how does the university develop an endowment? Well, oftentimes it's just through philanthropy, right? Getting people to donate money. And with the case of Delaware, they've got some competing donors. So interesting story that, um, you know, the founders of DuPont are Delaware oh, wow. grads. And interesting. The, uh, the founders of DuPont at, eventually, at least one, matriculated their way to Missoula. Oh, I, went, I, I, went to, I went to church with Betty Dupont. Okay, she was uh, she was an older gal when I was a kid. And I, she was somebody that I knew as grandmother. Or something I'm sure my mother's going to text me right now who she was, but right. she was part of that that family, the Dupont uh, Paint, right? Well, the whole sort of chemical industry, chemicals, empire, uh, right, 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 materials, yeah. chemicals, etc. And one of the employees at Dupont was William Gore, who left the company to found. W.L. Gore Associates, the makers of Gore-Tex. Wow, okay. Right, and so now there's this rivalry between the companies uh, in terms of their business, their businesses mm -hmm. overlap, but also um, this sort of rivalry in their heritage. Both Gore and DuPont went to Delaware and they sort of are competing, the families are competing donors. So on the campus, the Gore building and the DuPont building are right across from one another. Well, of course, uh, the most famous alum, of the University of Delaware is the current president of the United That's States, right. Joe Biden. Yep. His, his wife, uh, Joe Biden, also a Delaware alum. Chris Christie, uh, governor of New Jersey, is also a Delaware alum. So a lot of uh, who's who there. Right. And so you can get a large endowment through a variety of ways, right? One, you can get a lot of gifts or you can get a small number of large gifts. Sure. So there can be a lot of giving. But with that... Um, the university, uh, you know, I, I don't know the ins and outs of how they're funded by the state. It's a state institution. My presumption is they're pretty well funded through tuition and, sure. and an allocation from the state government such that they don't need to rely on their philanthropy for a large portion of their operations, right? So that endowment yes, right. can be set aside and grow, right? Right. And so one, it's sort of how much money are you putting into it? How much are you taking out? And then how are you managing that money? Um you know, generally speaking, it's pretty conservative, growth-oriented investment strategy and uh -huh, endowment. Uh -huh. um, there's a lot of uh, controversies on co college campuses about what those endowments are invested in. Sure. Right now, like, are you invested in Israel? Are you invested in Palestine? All sorts of things like that come to play when you're talking about uh, a college endowment. The the uh, politics of the little ecosystems yeah. that exist on uh, campus across campuses across the United States. Justin Angle in studio, the Business Angle, presented by Blackfoot Communications. Again, Delaware's endowment, $1.78 To put that in perspective, University of Montana, about $240, $245 million right now, which is uh, you know about normal for the, a school of this size. Delaware is significantly bigger than Montana. There are about 24,000 students there at, at Delaware. There's also the element where there is a Delaware state, but not all states have like these two... True. Like Montana is the flagship university of the state of Montana. Yeah. Montana State is the land-grant university. They have state funding that's pretty equitable and there's a board of regents and a you know higher sure. education all that sort of stuff that's not the case in a lot of states like wyoming there's no 
sister school, whatever, to mm-hmm. the University of Wyoming. And Delaware, Delaware is the like the flagship and the land grant. All of the Delaware states is a little bit subsided, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, Delaware is much more the, University of Delaware is much more the flagship institution, and the right. state is tiny. I mean, you could probably fit yes. 20 states of Delaware within the, the total size of, of Montana. And just the density of universities in that space is, is pretty high to begin with. So yeah. the need for all these other, you know, the need for a competing flagship isn't necessarily there. Yeah, interesting. So uh, what does it all mean when it comes to athletics? Well, this is interesting that this is the week that Delaware is coming to Montana because I, I think it's safe to say this will be the last time they ever come to Montana. That's not just because of what might or probably should happen in the game on Saturday. Delaware is moving up to Conference USA. This The news came out the day after Delaware basically clinched a, a, a ticket to come out here to Montana. So they're moving up to FBS. I heard from a lot of people, well, how are they doing this? Well, Delaware has a nice stadium. It holds about 18,000 people. That's certainly not on par with either of the Montana stadiums, but better than most of the rest of the FCS. You probably can expect an expansion. They also have a, an operating budget of almost $49 million. I think that's another thing that stems from only having one, uh, you know, big time athletic department that's getting a lot of state funding. Yeah, I think so. And they have access to major media markets. That's right. I mean, it's in Newark, Delaware, which is, you know, within an hour of Philadelphia, probably an hour from Baltimore, a couple hours from DC, not far from New York, just the density of population centers. And depending on how you're monetizing that audience, you can sell into a variety of channels, the remainder of the cable bundle and then all the other streamers as well. So they, they, they probably have a pretty dedicated audience that has access to the content. When it comes to this conference realignment, it's one of our common themes. We're always talking about this. And I continue to think about these main factors. For someone like Delaware, do you think it's think it's media market or location or like availability to to be, you know regionally be able to fluidly move into conference. You say, what do you think is the biggest factor to them being able to make the jump? Well, I mean, they have the money. I think a few months ago we talked about the increase in the, just the flat fee to move sure, up right, to FBS, right, right. something like five million dollars. Five million dollars. Think that's about right. a one point eight billion dollar endowment. You know, I don't know how that money is necessarily partitioned, but. Five million dollars is rounding error. <laughs> That's probably, right, yeah. the, the portfolio probably gains and loses more than that, you know, in a day. In a day, of, right? Of trading, so five million dollars is kind of a rounding area. Era. That's it's real money though. It needs to be managed intelligently. For sure. My best guess is that Delaware wants to sort of step up and be a high-profile state university on par with other state universities sure. in the region. Right. And those are all, you know, FBS type level schools in the area. I mean, we talked about Rutgers a few weeks ago and the move they made. Well, Delaware can kind of, you know, if they can kind of get a similar deal, the quality of the football or or the other sports doesn't matter so much as the access to the media contracts at this point. It's just, uh, it's so interesting because um, I think that it's still this, this common theme we go back to where People that are listening to this show, by and large, are either from Montana, live in Montana, or connected to Montana. And you're sitting there thinking, "Well, the Grizz draw ten thousand more fans per game than Delaware. Why? You know, the Grizz have won more national championships than Delaware. They're more nationally relevant. Why are the Grizz moving up?" And I think that it just keeps going back to these primary factors. Where are you located? What's the geographical fit for somebody that might actually invite you into their conference? Why are you alluring to their conference when it comes to your brand and your media market? And then how do you fund it? And I do think. You know, I, I was talking back to this. Imagine if Montana and Montana State were one university. I don't. That would be detrimental to the the 
higher education in the state of Montana, but it would be very beneficial to the athletics in the state of Montana, just from a financial perspective. You mean as far as like just combining the talent that, uh, you know, the talent, but also just, the, also just the funding. I mean, imagine if you sure. just, you doubled the state funding, you doubled the student athletic fees, you doubled the budget, right? Like if you just put those two budgets together, then you have Delaware's budget. Um, Perhaps. I mean, we don't know if it's necessarily a doubling. Sure, right. right like right. if the powers that be wanted to consolidate into one that's university, true. it that's wouldn't true. be just double everything. No, that's true. That's They'd true. They'd probably try to cut costs wherever they can. That's true. And then you probably upset an, enough of your donors that you'd have some fraction, that's right. fractionalized uh, donor base. So, you know, I, I don't know if I agree with the premise of the question. However, I do think that there is something to say about you know, this hypothetical unified front could be a more compelling media property. Sure, right. Potentially. And, you know, you you have one fewer media properties to access, you know, an already fairly small, but but reasonable market. Well, as I just been radio, the business angle presented by Blackfoot Communications. Another thing I sent you along on the text thread was about this new uh, NIL collective, the good old Grizzlies. We've had some conversations with them. They've reached out. Nice guys. Um, the way that this is working, though, is that there's been a couple of st- attempts at having some sort of semblance of organization and a little bit of brokering when it comes to NIL deals for, for Grizz athletes, specifically Grizz football players. But it's been sort of this moving target. And, you know, quite frankly, I think the University of Montana itself has been a little bit uh, late to the party when it comes to this. Montana State has an NIL collective that's uh, established now and is, sure. is, is churning a little bit more when it comes to contributions, they don't want to call it donations because it's not that there's a lot of jargon there. You know, the universities want donations to be for the university or for the athletic department. Yep. These are contributions. So regardless, though, Montana State's had this going for a little while. Montana now, they have a, a, par, a third-party uh, company basically to do this for them. This company represents 45 schools already. Uh, but the, the extension here in Missoula at the University of Montana is called the Good Old Grizzlies Collective. So it'll be interesting to see how this works. I don't know. I the NIL thing is here to stay. There's no question about that uh, in the immediate future. The long term, I'm not exactly sure, but I do think it's something that schools, athletic departments at least have to have some sort of a plan for. I don't know how this is going to all go, but it does seem like you need, just need to have something in terms of, you know, sort of bumpers on this this situation. Yeah, it, it, it would seem that way. That some degree of, of regulation or policy is, is required. Um, because if it's just the Wild West, I mean, boosters are going to be writing huge checks for people to transfer now that there's the transfer por- portal. We have an example where there's right. plenty of examples of that already. Right. I mean, Cam Ward right now is the starting quarterback at Washington State. He's already left incarnate word high and dry. He was the FCS freshman of the year in 2021, transferred up to Washington State. Well, now he's dabbling in the portal, and he already has five one million dollar a year offers. That's just that's pretty crazy. Yeah, so you're sort of introducing market forces into a world where there haven't been market forces, right? And with that, you've got some of these consequences of people moving around in such a way that you know, are you diluting the product? You know, in college sports, there is more. Well, players are just by nature more transitory. They're there right. for smaller amounts of time than right. they are in professional franchises. Although there's more movement in general across all kinds of sports, but but introducing this profit motive or this market mechanism and allowing students to transfer, student athletes to transfer without any constraint, are we 
are these schools in an effort to prop up their brands um, actually diluting them? Sure. I, I've been thinking about this a lot because Caleb Williams, for example, he won the Heisman Trophy last year. He uh, came back to USC this year. They've had a disappointing year by what their expectations were in the yeah. preseason. Uh, he could come back next year. The the number one pick in the NFL draft, the, the slated draft salary is between four point seven and five point one million dollars. Mm-hmm. If Caleb Williams wanted to go after, he could get way more than that on the open market. Sure, yeah, like on the transfer. Market. Yeah, the transfer market. Yeah, well, we, we've seen a couple guys that are that are like juniors that could be seniors that have already announced that they're coming back because they're going to make way more money. Sure, as a you know West Virginia quarterback or whatever than they would as you know a third round pick in the NFL. I, it, it just feels like that. That's a weird shift in the in the quote-unquote market so to speak absolutely and it's not necessarily a new problem right when like sure. lebron james signed with the cleveland cavaliers he had already signed for with nike for a far larger endorsement deal so the question is like does he really is his employer the cleveland cavaliers or is it nike right, right? and so right right you know the same michael jordan of, and the bulls were the same way it's true and so the same but it, it wasn't always that way with jordan right, like he right. wasn't quite outstripped by his sponsors sure. initially but the question is like how, how do you what what mechanism is there to regulate this I mean, right we've talked endlessly in this seg in this segment on the show about how the ncaa is just declining in its power right mm-hmm. and it's sort of social license to create regulatory frameworks around this stuff. And now you've sort of opened the Pandora's box and allowed a Wild West dynamic to occur. Yes. Um, It's sort of hard to imagine exactly how that gets reined in, um, particularly because there's legal frameworks now in place and and, and sort of jurisprudence that that gives the student athletes the right to monetize their name, image, and likeness. And so there isn't necessarily an overarching body that says, hey, you can't do this. Um, so it's going to be hard to uh, to put constraints on it. The the sport that this is impacting the most, at least initially here, to me is is men's college basketball, because you only have twelve to fifteen guys on a roster. Yeah. yeah. So if you can, if that, yeah, right, and if you're one of the big time programs, getting five to ten million dollars worth of NIL money to go then disperse is is not that crazy of a, a thing, right? If you're Duke basketball, North Carolina basketball, Texas, you know, tech basketball, whatever, you could definitely come up with three to $10 million. Yeah. And then you can give every guy on your roster a couple hundred grand. The reason this is messing up college hoops is they all the power programs are recruiting as many guys as they possibly can with the, as big a bag of money as they possibly can. And they're, there's all these false promises that are associated with it. And then all of a sudden you have all these guys that are leaving mid-major schools where they could be stars, they could be standouts, they could be great players in the big sky or the, you know, the whack or whatever it might be. And they're the ninth guy at Texas Tech or they're the, you know, 11th guy at Kansas. Yeah. They're not playing. And it's it's just messing up the, the whole hierarchy of it. But then on the flip side, because there's all these transfers available, about one half of the amount of high school kids that could be getting into the Division One ranks aren't. So it's it's kind of robbing Peter to pay Paul on both sides. And in some ways, you got to think about like what do these donors or, or contributors yeah, sure, right. want? Right? right? They want return on their investment. Right. So they want return on their investment in a few different ways. They want to be able to monetize the name, image, and likeness. So if you're a Missoula business, you can get a Grizz athlete yes. in a billboard for you, a magazine ad, whatever. And you know, sort of we. We all kind of understand how that mechanism works. Yes. 
But you also probably want some outcome on the field or the court. Sure. Right? And so if you bring in, if you throw a bunch of money at an athlete who comes in and then either transfers out, I mean, that's probably some sort of a contract violation, but, mm-hmm. but isn't getting the playing time. Right. You know, what sort of influence does that person have For sure. over the coach, over right. the style of play, over the athletic department? All kinds of conflicts that um, are, are probably playing out in real time. Raekwon Battle, who's one of the best players at the Big Sky this last year, actually last two years at Montana State, he then transferred to West Virginia. He could have gone to Utah State with Danny Sprinkle. He didn't. Mm-hmm. He went to West Virginia for a reported $300,000 NIL fee. Then the NCAA turned down his waiver because he's already transferred from Washington to Montana State and now to West Virginia. So the one-time transfer is already over. Yep. He's petitioning the NCAA right now. There was, a, there was an article in the Washington Post about this yesterday where he's saying, hey, because of where I come from and all the things I've experienced in my life and all this tumultuous uh, nature of the state of college hoops, this is detrimentally affecting my mental health, and he's really going after the NCAA. There's both sides to it. I can see it. Sure. But more than anything, the fact that he's ineligible makes this NIL money now sort of in flux as well. Yeah, this is a good okay. example, right? Like, do they have to pay him if he doesn't come? Or, or if he's or if he's there, but he's not eligible, how does that work? I, mean, I would imagine when you sign one of those contracts, there is a ton of fine print that yes. stipulates the conditions under which that money gets paid or not paid. Yeah. And you know that's another piece of this. Like our athletic departments educating. Um, you know, I, I don't know what kind of resources like this this third party entity, good old Grizzlies, has for educating these sure. student athletes. Um, if they're not doing it, well, the athletic department of the university and the coaching staff they absolutely should be educating yes. their their student athletes on the pitfalls and 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 things that to look out for when you're signing a big stakes contract like there, this. There's so much depth to this too because I think at the University of Montana or Montana State the way this is going to go yeah you got a couple guys that are driving free trucks and you know you might be able to get Tens of thousands of dollars in NIL money. Yeah. You're not going to be getting millions of dollars either, though. And I do think that there's a little bit more validity to, you know, a car dealership giving a truck to a Grizz guy. There's there's a mutual agreement there where both sides are benefiting from that. You get to some of these big schools where it's like there's the guy at Miami who was running this company that was at once, uh, you know, a... Uh, a multi-million dollar company that then went bankrupt, but he's paying all the Miami players out of this. And what are they actually doing for this company? Nothing. Are they actually promoting it? No, that he's just using it as a way to filter. Yeah, it's a shell game. <laughs> right? and that's where it gets crazy is when you got like the T. Boone Pickens of the world at Oklahoma State and they're like, oh, we're going to give all these guys NIL deals to work at all my various businesses, and they don't actually have to do anything. Now we're just back to the beginning, you know, where Oklahoma was paying guys to work one day a year at the car dealership for $25,000 a piece, right? Like, that's what they got in all that trouble for initially. It's it, it just seems like such a crazy thing to wrap your mind around, especially at the highest level. Yeah, I mean... At one level, the athletes should be entitled to monetizing their name, image, and likeness. You know, if the university that they're playing for or representing is doing the same, yes, there is a, a, a coherent argument that the athletes should be yep. able to get a piece of that. And I think that's what the, the courts have held, right? But what you got to look at the unintended consequences and you have to look at what does this do um, to the student athletes sort of future right if we got student athletes hopping around from university to university um, probably less likely to actually be getting an education how many of these student athletes are going to end up 
being professional, unclear, uh, finishing their degree, unclear, getting the sort of education to manage that money in, in a way that, that benefits them and their families, that's also unclear. So it is kind of a Wild West moment. The Business Angle, Justin Angle here on Nuanas Now, ESPN Radio, the overlay between business and sports. We don't necessarily have to talk about this because we're kind of up against it, but I just want to get these stats out here because it's <laughs> funny. We've been talking about this quite a bit. Matt Brown runs the Extra Points newsletter, friend of the show. He's come on several times with us. Uh, it's a great newsletter if you're into like the ins and outs of college sports, especially the financial parts of it and like sort of the athletic administration parts of it. He has a lot of good information in there. But he 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 tweeted this. Uh, this is actually a couple weeks ago when Jimbo, Jimbo Fisher received his $77.5 million buyout from Texas A&M. Matt Brown says, Jimbo Fisher's $77.5 million buyout is a truly staggering amount of money. To buy, but to help put this in perspective, here's some data journalism. 70, $77.5 million is quite a bit more, actually, than the gross domestic product of Tuvalu, which is $60 million. $77.5 million is more than the total annual athletic budget for every single public school outside of the Power Five. That one was the most compelling sort that, of stat That's to me. crazy, right? Uh, the median athletic budget uh, spent across uh, FBS for the year of 2022 was $80 million. So Jimbo Fisher is basically getting a buyout that's equivalent to, to most FBS it, Playing athletic departments. Yeah, I mean, we're can we're it's not seventy seven million in one year. That's right. It's over ten years, right? So right, but he it is front loaded. He's going to get like fifty before before yeah. the new year, which is pretty <laughs> crazy, right? Which is good for him, I suppose. Uh, but yeah, it's just such a staggering amount of money. What was it? So you could buy seven million? What like hamburgers? Yeah, yeah. Or something? We'll, we'll keep going. Uh, $77.5 million is more than the entire uh, AAC or Conference USA ticket revenue for every single sport. Those are two, not Power 5 conferences, yeah. but those are two top 10 or 12 conferences in the country. Every single sport in both of those combined is less <laughs> than Jimbo Fisher's buyout. Okay, let's keep going. $77.5 million is more than the entire endowment at Texas Wesleyan University. And finally, the one you just referenced, $77.5 million is enough uh, to pay for 7.7 .7 million bacon and cheese Whataburger combos at College Station in Texas. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things you could do oh. with $77 million, oh. right? And oh, man. It's sort of, it's, it's quite a statement that this person is getting paid that amount of money to not work. To not work and that... Donors are the ones footing the bill. Yeah, man, yeah. what a state of affairs in in college football. Sorry if this is depressing. Sometimes <laughs> hey, we just try to make it as light as we can, but uh, it is a wild world out there. Justin Angle here uh, in studio. Thanks for swinging by, man. Thank you.